Chapter 21, The Beginning of War About 500 miles north of the village is the council's garden, built in the center of Garvin, just south of its great lake, deep in a meadow protected by treelings. Taking the group six days to get there, they are given a detailed report before they can even see the legendary garden. Immediately, the council begins explaining the urgency of the situation for which they were called. As head of the council, Romulus reads the report aloud. Its detailed synopsis of the war quickly turns into a short summary of the awe-inspiring events that have taken place so far. To Tatiana's surprise, the conflict has escalated into war in the three months they have been gone. The Goblins' eastern front is still pushing the Goblins' western defenses deeper and deeper east, and without any aid from the Kingdom of Bursh, hope is small and far between. Still, our fellow gnomes and fawns of the forest of Garvin fight on with courage, Romulus explains, his long silver beard dragging across the ground as he paces back and forth. To summarize, Romulus begins, Without a military power, the forest of Garvin has suffered many losses. But with our last battle, the elusive treelings of Garvin, using their system of roots, sent word to the many animals of the forest, bringing numerous ferocious animals to their aid, amongst them boars, badgers, wolves, foxes, and birds. Swarming their goblin enemies, each fairy bites at the goblins and their razor-sharp teeth. These small, majestic creatures ferociously protect their threatened forest. Like bees, they protect their ponds and creeks from unwanted company. Attacking from the skies above, Pantheons, the rarest of all creatures on Azurus, swoop down to protect their forest with their beauty and grace, their large black feline bodies pouncing onto any goblin unlucky enough to see them. Nocturnal by nature, their black silver-tipped wings block out any light as they soar above the treetops. One by one they swoop down, picking off trolls, ogres, and goblins from the battlefield. But the goblin forces continue pushing hard against the western border, relentless in their attacks. Hordes of velociraptors charge onto the battlefield as a mighty swamp phoenix leads them from the sky. King Tyric also steps onto the warfront, his club swinging as fast as a swift sword, breaking down trees, fawns, and gnomes alike. Soaring high into the sky, the swamp phoenix releases a gaseous substance from its mouth, igniting it with a click of its beak. A tremendous fire erupts over its body as the massive bird swoops down, spreading her fire across the western trees of Garvin. As the treetops burn across the front lines, the two pantheons swoop down toward the mighty phoenix in a battle for supremacy. All three collide into battle, with the phoenix eclipsing both pantheons with her massive wings. Completely engulfed in her own flames, the phoenix cuts through the attacking pantheons. Falling toward the ground in a vortex of feathers and fur, both pantheons force their wings open and glide swiftly away from the forest canopy. Suddenly, one of the pantheons swoops up in front of the phoenix, catching her face with its claws, feathers tearing from her face. The other pantheon gains speed as it flies high above the phoenix and closes its wings. Coming down at an incredible speed, the pantheon protracts its claws as it continues towards the phoenix. Allowing the phoenix to burn its paws, all twenty of the pantheon's claws pierce the bird's back, sending her hurtling down into the dirt below. The giant phoenix lets out a squawk as it comes crashing down on a group of goblins and ogres, changing the tide of that small battle. The gnomes and fawns of that area rally together and push forward, Bow stabs, shovel swords, and spears drawn and at the ready. 
Velociraptors scour the area for victims in groups of five to eight at a time. These three feet tall, six feet long avian reptiles take to hunting gnomes and fawns with nothing standing in their way. To offset the fight, the treelings petition the boars, badgers, and wolverines for help. Rushing through the forest, hordes of these animals flock out systematically attacking the goblins and their raptor pets. One wolverine stands tall on a rock overlooking the fight. Named king by the treelings, this wolverine rules over all the small animals of Garvin. A deep red scar crosses his blind left eye, weighing 100 pounds. King serves as the biggest and most ferocious of his kind. As King stands alone on his rock, a group of six raptors circle around him, hoping to corner and overthrow this king of beasts. The lead velociraptor launches himself toward King, but with one bat of his incredible paw, the raptor is thrown to the side. Two other raptors come from behind, biting at both of his hind legs. In a vicious rage, the wolverine turns on both raptors, tearing one off with his teeth, killing it in the process. Then rolling over the other raptor, about to crush it, three more raptors attack, jumping on his back. Biting and scratching at his fur, the four raptors pull him off the rock down to the stream flowing below. As King falls, the lead raptor jumps atop the rock, letting out a victory squeal. Moments pass, and the raptor looks on with fear down the slope of the rock. The raptor takes a step back and turns its head so as to better see the menacing creature climbing before it. Emerging from the four raptors, King climbs snarling angrily. Jumping from atop the rock, the raptor attempts to strike at the wolverine. King stands on his hind legs, catching the raptor and throwing it to the ground. Opening his mouth, King bites down on the raptor's neck, ending their fight. King Tyric enters the fray, proving the hardest to bring down for the forces of Gobbin. No gnome or fawn is fast enough or strong enough to prevail against this mighty foe. His club swings a crushing blow against everyone who comes up against him. The treelings, fearing the destruction he will unleash, send the alpha male wolves after him. But even the twelve mightiest wolves are brought to nothing by his club. Fadar and Tatiana, now understanding the severity of the problem at hand, look to Romulus. Fadar, realizing what this could mean, asks the council, What are your orders? You are to be the new leading general of Govan's military force, one of the gnomes explains, effective immediately. Understood. Fadar accepts his assignment. As for you two, Tatiana and Adolin, both of you will serve to Fadar's needs, be it as gods or messengers. Understood? Of course, Tatiana replies, as both her and Adolin bow before the council. May the forest fight with you, the gnome finishes. Soon after, the three are off again, traveling quickly toward the war. Realizing once again her sister isn't with her, Tatiana's heart drops as she feels the loneliness of the times, finding comfort only in the hope her sister is alive and well. The stagecoach shakes as they go over a bump in the road. Regaining her focus, she straightens her back, sitting upright, as she looks over to Fadar, her adoptive father. Fadar, what's your plans against the goblins of abolition? Tatiana then asks. The elderly gnome ponders over the question for a moment, before answering. I haven't truly decided. It depends heavily on the situation we're in. How long until we arrive at the forefront? Another five more days, I suppose, Fadar offers reluctantly, tired of their constant traveling. My old bones can't take much more sitting. 
I know what you mean, Tatiana acknowledges. Pushing the moose to their limits, they arrive at the warfront three days later, much earlier than expected, bringing the whole trip to Garvin to seven days total. The three warriors step out of the stagecoach and on to the war camp. You must be Fadar, an armored gnome expresses with a bow. The two moose collapse from exhaustion upon stopping. I am indeed, but please tend to the moose. We cannot stray from our purpose, even in this time of war, Fadar responds. Yes, sir. Tatiana, Adolin, and Fadar march toward the large fawn-built hut before them. Made of straw and mud, the hut easily blends in with the surrounding forest, while being enough to fit a few normal-sized people in it. Inside the hut, two fawns stand hunching over a large map of Azurus positioned on an oak desk. The female fawn points to the location of Azurus's great tree up north, and then highlights their location relative to the mountain the goblins call their capital, Goblin's Peak. Her red breastplate is lined with silver, scratches and scuffs give the metal a worn look. A metallic kneecap covers over each knee with the same scheme as the breastplate. The male fawn stands next to her wearing armor of the same design but with blue instead of red. Both turn to Fadar. His crooked top hat is the only thing they can see. A single lantern lights the barren room. Hopping onto the large desk, Fadar stands next to the well-lit lantern. So Fadar is here, the large male fawn points out. Fadar, a pleasure to finally have you here. I am Flavia, head of the fawns here in Garvin, leader of the largest tribe. I am Decimus, the leader of the second largest tribe in the forest of Garvin. The last three gnome representatives fled when they heard King Tyric coming to the front lines. How can we be sure that you are here to stay? Flavia asks. Simple. My first job was as a courier gnome, Fadar explains, pulling his sword from his cane. More than I wish have crossed this blade. Fadar pauses for a moment in contemplation. So King Tyric is what they're calling him. Does that mean there really is a goblin king now? Tatiana asks. That's what he calls himself. He sent a few fawns back just to tell us his name, hoping to strike fear into the hearts of our forces, Flavia explains. He's trying to push in toward the Great Lake of Solitude. As far as we can tell, his goal is to make it to the capital by using Merfolk as a way to bolster his army, Decimus explains, hoping to get Fadar's opinion on the matter. That's not their plan. What forces do we have? Fadar asks in response. We have a group stationed at every village on the western border, but it's doing nothing, Decimus explains. That's because they're taking over the waterways. Fortunately, the canal that separates us keeps them from pushing further east. Their plan must be to use the lake as a breeding ground for the Tobigus route. This route is what creates the swampy environment their land possesses. It's a natural food source for pixies, but if they were able to get it to the Lake of Solitude, it would choke out at least 70% of the forest in a matter of days, Fadar explains, using his knowledge on the situation. So we need to move troops from the villages toward the waterways? Decimus asks, grasping the situation. Precisely, but not without further planning. What would you have us do? Flavia asks. We need to move all gnome villages and fawn tribes 20 miles from the border at minimum. Then we can gate all the waterways and fortify them in case of merfolk attacks. The goblins are afraid to journey into Garvin without first clearing a path. Their fear of the elusive treelings gives us the advantage on timing. Merfolk are incredibly strong, which only doubles underwater, so gates won't be enough, Flavia points out. 
What if we planted thistle vines around both posts, Decimus offers. That would strengthen and protect the gates, Fadar admits. We would also want to build all gates about 20 yards from the canal so the merfolk can't just walk past the gates with ease, Flavia brings up. I think we have a plan. Now we should relay the message to all the villages to start evacuating immediately, Fadar commands. Anton! Flavia shouts, summoning the small gnome who was tending to the moose. Yes, ma'am. Anton stops on the entryway of the hut as Flavia writes down her instructions on a large leaf. Take these instructions to the other three couriers and carry them out with haste, Flavia commands. Of course, ma'am. Anton accepts with a salute before he disappears outside. Fadar turns to Adolin and Tatiana, who have been waiting quietly. You two will remain with me at all times and until further notice. Our stagecoach will be our sleeping quarters, so if any preparations need to be made, I suggest you do them quickly. Sunset is upon us. Of course, sir, Adolin bows. Okay, Fadar, Tatiana agrees sweetly. As Adolin and Tatiana leave, Fadar, Flavia, and Decimus's discussions on the war continue. Each moment prolongs until the hours pass by turning day into night. Total losses. Goblins, 3,790. Gnomes and fawns, 2,480. Forest animals, 1,300. Treelings, 430. Battles. The first battle of the Forest of Garvin, Tyric the Goblin King, versus the Forest and the Forces of Garvin. Thank you for listening to The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn, written by Corey E. Slane. If you like this content, consider buying a physical copy on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can become a supporter. Support the podcast with a small monthly donation to sustain future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and tune in next time for more chapters of The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn.